You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Brooke Moore, and I'm joined by Dr. <laughs> Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing? Hey, Brooke. Hi. This is so fun. Oh my gosh, I love this. Yeah. Aww, I'm, I'm all right. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, just <laughs> blew up a whole bunch of balloons. So I feel like I'm a little out of breath. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. We've got a birthday, a very important birthday tomorrow to be celebrating. We do. And so I want to hear what are y'all doing to celebrate Gray's birthday tomorrow? I feel like I should say I'm also here. <laughs> yeah, yes. Aww. <laughs> Well, with the weather, we couldn't do a lot of the stuff we wanted to do. So um, some of his outdoor toys are going to become indoor toys for at least the day. Mm. We've got balloons we're going to dump on him when he wakes up in the morning. We bought um, all of his favorite foods. Yep, we have all of his favorite foods to eat for Oh, my gosh. Now. We're going to make some cupcakes. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, it should be a good day. That sounds so good. I'm so curious. What are some of his favorite foods right now? Like, what is it that he's? That he's into in terms of foods because I feel like it's so picky. Like at this age, maybe he's not, but both of my kids were. So, um, yeah, he is. It kind of depends, like day to day. He's picky each day, <laughs> but it like kind of swings. But uh, some like standard ones that typically work. I mean, he loves tacos because we're related. Of course, um, yes, so, that's right. Uh, I actually don't think we got those uh, just because we've had them a bunch recently. But we got pizza, we got tater tots, mm. we got mac and cheese, we got hot dogs. That's waffles so fun. For waffles for breakfast, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. Oh man, yeah. y'all are so. gonna have such a good day tomorrow. I'm so excited for you guys. And Gray is just gonna love every bit of it. Yeah, and then we're gonna, I think, try to zoom, like, set up a time where people can sing to him and stuff. But you know, obviously, it's like figuring out how to celebrate him without throwing him a party, which is what we had planned on months yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's so fun. Oh, I love that. Well, how how are y'all doing? I mean, I know, yeah. How are you guys doing? Do you want to stay or do you want to hop off? Um, y'all can chat. Okay. <laughs> um, we are, we're doing well. I think that's kind of the main thing um, mm. is that. And, uh, you know, the rest of the week has been uh, a lot of playing outside and, uh, and or doing yard work. So, like, we did, Brooke and I did a bunch of, like, yard work stuff today. While kind of trading off who was uh, playing with Gray. Uh huh. In like, you know, he like wants to help and stuff. And so that's, yes. He's, he's you know, about to be two, so he can't like do much. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he, he likes it. So, um, yeah. How have y'all been doing the past? Awesome. Week? Yeah, we've been, we've been doing okay. Um, I feel like in some ways this last week was um, a little bit heavier for, you know, a handful of reasons and just more emotions, but, but we're doing okay. I, uh, we found out that Texas closed through the rest of the year. And even though we kind of anticipated that that was going to be happening, it's still, I don't know. There are still emotions tied to it once we find out. Yeah, um, but yeah. I'm actually, I'm really, I was really proud of of Callie and how how well she took it this time. She actually was much more resilient and much more. I mean, she's resilient anyways, but she just took it much more 
much better than I thought that she would, uh, at least much better than the last time. So, Mm. but yeah, we're doing okay. Just, you know, still taking things one day at a time and, you know, and I'm just, I'm so, I'm just so grateful, um, to be going through some of this with Corey, um, which I know will tie into some of this week's episode, but um, he was really good. I really have to give him some props for today. He was really good at noticing that I needed a day of, you know, just not having, I just needed a day just to breathe and like not have everyone around while I'm trying to juggle all the things. And so he like yeah. scooped the kids up and they went out for a drive for a little while. And it just, I'm just so grateful that he, you know, have him as my partner through this right now. So yeah. yeah. But yeah. but otherwise, I mean, we're doing okay. I know we've got Gray's birthday coming up, and then my birthday is just a few days on the other side of Gray's, and so we're trying to think like, what are we gonna do for it this year? Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> um, well, here's what you do: you get a bunch of balloons to get dumped on you in the morning. <laughs> you get all your favorite foods. All your outdoor toys become your indoor toys. That's amazing. Oh, I love it. So you are gonna be my official birthday party party planner. Is that right? You have sure. taken yeah, that I need, on. <laughs> uh, I need your, whatever the digital version of a Rolodex is of all your like friends. Oh, that's awesome. I love, I saw some, some video going around of, uh, that was like all, you know, May and April or April and May birthdays. And it was like someone with a cake in front of them with a mask on, with a hair dryer to blow out the candles and then just like all of these like iPads or like all of their friends on Zoom, like singing happy birthday to them. Like, yes, that sounds mm, exactly yeah. like what's going to happen in our household. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, yeah. so my question for you in anticipation for this week's episode is I am curious, what is one way that you built love, trust, and loyalty in your relationship with Brooke, or what is one way in which Brooke did that for you this week? Okay, look, these questions are supposed to be <laughs> lighthearted and funny. Um, you can make that lighthearted and funny, though, right? I will say that she recorded a podcast intro with me <laughs> that she uh, played into my funny last-minute mm-hmm. idea of surprising you in a podcast intro, which uh, I, you know, she doesn't do podcast recordings all that often and so Mm -hmm. obviously that wasn't like you know she wasn't planning on it but no and I wasn't expecting that either (laughs) playing along with my shenanigans is like a a pretty good typical her showing her love for me so I love that I love that oh I just and I adore Brooke I think that's so awesome that she was able to play along with your (laughs) your shenanigans that's awesome yeah um, oh. I don't have that question in front of me, and it was quite intense. So, uh, just whatever the can you read it back to yeah. yourself? Read it back to my, oh to myself for me. Yeah, I don't. Oh. I didn't write it down, and there was a lot of words. Yeah, it was a lot of words. Well, you know, I kind of pulled it from thinking about our episode that we've got this week, but but it was what is one way that you built love, trust, and loyalty in your relationship, or that like with Corey, or one way that Corey did that to me. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's just the fact that he saw that I needed a hot minute and for everybody to like get out of the house and, you know, not out of anger, not out of, you know, overwhelm or anything, just there's purely out of like, I have not, I've just not had a moment to just breathe and pause and, 
he just saw that I needed that. And um, so I think that that is going to be my answer. So, Well, speaking of partners, like we just talked about, and you know, the throwback all the way to the beginning when Brooke hopped on with me, which was part of the kind of the point of mm-hmm. it, right? I thought it would build in a segue mm-hmm. for us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this week's episode? Yeah, sure. So this week we have Dr. Rod Hetzel and Dr. Susan Matlock Hetzel on. They are talking with us about relationships and some of their work around Gottman's training. We go into a little bit more detail about their background around Gottman, but They're really here to unpack Gottman's sound relationship house theory and uh, quite a bit in terms of trust and commitment and then these seven different elements or things that couples can be doing and and considering as they're paying attention to their partnership. And I, I mean, I just am so glad that we, you know, had some folks on to talk about relationships, but especially these two. I mean, Rod and Susie are like celebrities in Waco. Everybody knows who they are and their work is just so, so valuable and important. And they're such good people. And actually there are two, their, their dogs really are the celebrities of Waco is what I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, we had them on to talk about relationships and I really, I do want to say, you know, before we dive into this episode for sure, that the content that we have in this episode really is for couples who are in a, you know, a generally healthy, non-abusive relationship. And so we do want to be highly sensitive to the fact that in light of everything that's going on right now, we recognize that domestic violence has gone up. And so as part of this episode too, we're going to be including links and to a number of different resources in the show notes. So please, you know, if you know someone or if that is something that, that you are kind of struggling through or thinking through, please refer to those resources. But we just, yeah. we want to elevate that, that, you know, a lot of what we talk about are for those couples who just have you know, just little things that they got to think through a little bit. Um, I don't, you know, but all couples, I mean, I think have each, this is going to be beneficial to each couple, but I especially want to be sensitive to those who are, you know, just facing some uncharted territories in terms of domestic violence and abuse, because that is extremely serious. And, and we want to be sensitive to that. So. Yeah. One Quick note, we did, the way we recorded the audio on their end is a little bit different than how we normally do, mm-hmm. so it sounds um, a little bit different on their end, but I think it, it's definitely still like totally fine. It's, you know, um, I don't know how yeah, to get just, out of this it's sentence, worth It's but... still worth listening through. I mean, for sure. It's, it's definitely worth yeah, yeah, listening yeah. through. I loved this. I'm so excited for our listeners to get to learn from these two. So. All right. All right. <laughs> Enjoy, y'all. Hey, welcome back. Today we have Dr. Rod Hetzel and Dr. Susan Matlock Hetzel on the show to talk with us. So both Dr. Rod Hetzel and Dr. Susan Matlock Hetzel have received their PhD in counseling psychology from Texas A&M. Both are licensed psychologists and have been in clinical practice for over 20 years. Um, And both have received advanced clinical training in Gottman Method, couples therapy, and mind-body medicine at Harvard Medical School. 
Dr. Rod Hetzel is in private practice in Waco and has advanced training in emotionally focused couple therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. He's also a part-time instructor of psychology and neuroscience in the clinical psychology doctoral program at Baylor. And Dr. Susan Matlock-Hetzel practices in the Department of Family Medicine at Baylor Scott & White Clinic in Waco. She completed a pre-doctoral residence in counseling psychology at the Houston Independent School District. And the two of them have these sweet, beautiful golden doodles named Benedict and Sophia, who are little Waco celebrities. So Rod and Susie, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Holly. We're glad to be here. Yeah. Is there anything that we missed in your bios that you want to, yeah, that, to fill us in on? Well, you covered the important parts, particularly about our two Benedict wonderful Sophia. golden noodles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are so, so sweet. Well, so today we're going to focus primarily on some of the work that y'all have done around Gottman therapy and just for us to have a, a better understanding of this. So I know, uh, Rod, that you are certified in Gottman therapy, and I know you're both, lead, you're both deeply passionate about couples therapy and marriages in general. Do you mind telling us about your journeys into this line of work? Well, absolutely. We'd be happy to tell you about that. Susie, maybe I'll start and then yeah, you please. can follow up. For me, the journey started a long time ago in my graduate training program when I realized we had some basic courses in couple therapy, but really not extensive training in couple therapy. And as I started working with couples, I realized that we it's really a different way of doing psychotherapy, very different from how you do individual therapy. And as I started seeing more couples in my practice, I realized I needed to do more extensive training in that. And so that began a journey for me of learning about which approaches to couple therapy have actual research support behind them. And that led me into studying and ultimately getting certified in Gottman Method Couples Therapy, but also studying emotionally focused couple therapy as well. Hmm. We... Uh... When we started this journey, we decided to go through the trains together. And one thing we've always enjoyed uh, doing is our professional trainings together and workshops, um, conferences, that kind of thing. So it was just another extension of, of us as a couple to go through the couple's training together. It was really amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first, the first workshop we went to, the training workshop we went to was a um, number of years ago. And we went because we wanted to learn how to help our couples, but we were so surprised that everything we learned was immediately applicable to our own marriage yeah. as well. Yeah. And we, as we would go through each layer, because the majority of, of our level one, level two, and three were done by the Gottmans. Uh, we were going through our own marital therapy together. And it was just one of those amazing bonding experiences. So we were doing it professionally, but we definitely have been benefited personally in, in our own marriage. So our, our interest yeah. professionally kind of drew us into this. Okay. This even fits for us. So let's, mm -hmm. let's take this. So, so going on these, Continuing education really was just um, an, an opportunity for us to solidify who we are as a couple. 
Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And I know when you were just talking about the workshops that y'all have done, I know I've my husband and I have gotten to see y'all um, speak before and present on, you know, at marriage retreats before, at least in one pr- in particular that I'm thinking of. And it's, and y'all are just so good at this. So let me just Thank affirm you. if anyone is listening and ever gets a chance to hear these two speak on marriage, it's, it's amazing. So Oh, well, thank you so much. That's very kind. Oh, well, thank you. So one of the things we really do want to focus on today is Gottman's sound relationship house theory. Can y'all give us a very, you know, high level overview of what that is? And then we'll dive in a little bit more into some of the details of it. Sure. You know, maybe a good place to start is to acknowledge that um, the Gottman Institute, uh, which operates out of uh, Washington State, um, has been studying what makes marriage work for over for almost 40 years. And they've studied over 3000 married couples. So they have collected a lot of data over what makes marriage work. And if you can imagine that amount of data over such a long period of time, it's a lot of data to, to process and to make sense of. And the way they have made sense of their data is by developing what they call a sound relationship house. And if you can imagine a house that has two load-bearing walls and that has seven levels in the house, those two load-bearing walls and the seven levels of the house each represent a critical research finding about what makes marriage work. That makes perfect sense. Mm, yeah. I love that. The, just the visual. Does it make more sense, you know, if, if for a lot of us that have never heard of this? So actually, I've never even heard of this because I don't, I don't work with couples, right? So in this particular kind of as I'm picturing it, does it make more sense to start with the load-bearing walls as you describe them or the levels within? Uh, I would say the load-bearing walls. Okay. Um, well, those two kind of on either side are trust and commitment, right? So That's correct. What do we do with the, I mean, kind of unpack those for us. Well, if you think about the purpose of a load-bearing wall, and that is you've got to have those up in order to hold the structure up. For the Gottman Sound Relationship House, if you're looking at the Sound Relationship House, trust is on the left and commitment is on the right in terms of the wall. Trust is, trust, can I trust you to be there for me? Can I trust that you are in the, in this journey together? Can I trust you to be vulnerable with me? Can I trust me to be vulnerable with you? So it's not just trust on one side of the partnership, it's trust within both and between both. Commitment, what are we committing to? Are we going to commit to the process? Are we going to commit to each other? Are we going to commit to each layer of the the sound relationship house? And as we commit to each layer, then we can commit to the the entire process of it. You don't have to know uh, what the end result will be. We know what we want to get to, but this is going. This can be organic, and com- and the commitment can change per layer that you're into. The very foundational layer is friendship. So in that moment, you know, sometimes I'll ask my couples before we can commit to other things, can we at least commit to the friendship? And, and either reestablishing that friendship or building that friendship if it's never been there. So it's a trusting each other, each layer as you go, 
but also knowing what, who and what you're trusting and who and what you're committing to. And some of this changes as you go through the course of your marriage. You know, when we got married, um, when we were standing uh, up at the altar, we knew that we were getting married for life. That was our commitment at that time. And I remember, though, there was a moment uh, probably about five years into our relationship where we were going through a difficult time and we were um, working through some of the conflict at the time. And we both had a very strong felt sense of this commitment is uh, felt so much deeper. And so it's not like the commitment level changed for us, but our it felt deeper and we really had that felt sense of we are in this regardless of what happens. And so ideally couples keep commitment kind of in the forefront of their mind and they work to continually build and deepen that commitment uh, throughout the course of their marriage. Yeah. So thinking about that, right, most people would say, okay, trust and commitment, sure, that makes sense kind of from a theoretical standpoint. But this in this kind of PDF here that I'm looking at, there's five specific ways listed in terms of how do we actually do those things, right? How do we build those? How do we grow those? Uh, can you touch on some of those? Yeah, sure. You know, um, there are lots of different ways that couples can build trust and commitment. One of the first things, though, would be to make trustworthiness a main priority in the relationship. And I think a lot of times that comes down to the question of, do I trust my partner to put the needs of the relationship ahead of their own needs? And am I willing to do the same? And that works beautifully when both partners are committed to putting the needs of the relationship um, as their first priority. Related to that is acting to maximize your partner's well-being, to do what you can to help your partner thrive in their life and in their marriage. And a lot of times we build trust by, uh, we build trust through the small positive moments I often use the expression that marriages are built by doing small things often. And I think that's important for us to remember that the grand gestures of commitment and trust and love and fidelity are wonderful, but trust is really built in those small moments and doing those small moments consistently throughout the day and throughout your marriage. Another way that we build trust and commitment is to avoid negative comparisons with other people. This is really easy for all people to do, that we may have a conflict with our partner and we might think, oh, you know, this friend of mine doesn't have to deal with this in his or her marriage. And I bet, you know, they would laugh at my joke if I told that joke, whereas my wife doesn't laugh at that joke. And it's really easy to begin to compare your partner negatively with somebody else. And that's normal to do, but if that's done over time and we don't catch that, then that can really lead down a path where the trust and commitment is going to be pretty rocky. And maybe then the opposite of that is in addition to avoiding negative comparisons, what we want to also do is to generate frequent thoughts and feelings and acts that cherish our partner's positive qualities and minimize our focus on their negative qualities. It really is helpful in marriage to be able to look at your partner through, through rose-colored glasses. That doesn't mean that you minimize the things that 
you have concerns about or the, the things that cause conflict in the marriage. But it does mean that you develop a habit of mind where you are intentionally looking for those positive qualities in your partner. And when you see those qualities, that you let your partner know. Um, you kind of catch them in the act of demonstrating those positive qualities. And when you catch them in the act of that, then you comment, you let them know. Hmm. That makes that makes perfect sense for each of those. I mean, I think walking through each of those makes perfect sense. And they are tangible and things that we can um, actually engage in or try to practice, um, like each of those five little steps. So thank you for mm-hmm. unpacking those. Sure. The other thing within this process that that y'all had hinted at a little bit before is that there's these seven like layers or elements or things that are part of this house. These like levels or I don't I don't remember the word that y'all had used, but but do y'all mind unpacking those seven elements or things that that couples can do or to focus on? Yeah, I think that uh, we'd be happy to do that. One of the ways that we can think about this is there are seven levels of the house, but those seven levels of the house are really describing three uh, separate areas that need to be addressed in terms of having a strong and healthy Mm. marriage. So we'll start with the bottom four levels of the house, which are all about building friendship and affection. And that first big layer has at the very foundation something called building love maps. The way I describe a love map, it truly is a map. If I were to ask you to imagine a map of the state of Texas, something would immediately come to mind of the shape of Texas. You might be able definitely to put in where the panhandle is, um, for our purposes, you know, here in Waco, we would kind of know where Waco is, where the big cities are. We'd have a general idea of Texas. Um, if I were to ask you, uh, can you give me some details, more specific, where are the rivers? Well, we, we might be able to put a few of them in there. But the more we know about Texas, the more detailed we can get about that map. And a love map is the same thing about the relationship. The, nor- the more I know of my partner, the more details I can fill in about that person's love map. I know uh, the small things, your favorite colors, um, preferences of uh, bacon or sausage. Um, but I also can know those uh, sensitive spots of past hurts, people, best friends, um, yeah. abuses, those kinds of things. So it, it, the more I know about them, and that evolves over a lifetime. So it's not something that's mm. foundational and you have it done and then you go to the next layer. This is something that continually needs to be uh, discussed and part of the conversation because a person's map changes as their life evolves. Yeah, we change as we yeah. go through life. We change individually and we have to stay current with how our partner's changing. And building love maps is actually quite simple to do. The problem is we kind of get out of the habit of doing it after we've been married for a while. The easiest way to build love maps is simply to be curious about your partner's life and your partner's inner world and to ask them open-ended questions. 
And an open-ended question essentially is any question that needs more than a yes or no to answer it. So if I were to say to Susie, do you like the way our house is decorated? Well, that's a fairly uninteresting question because it just tells her, she would just tell me yes or no, I don't, I like it or I don't like it. But if I were to ask her, what are your thoughts about how our house is decorated? What do you like best about our house? What do you like least about our house? Then that actually opens up a whole world of discovery for me to learn how she feels and thinks about our house. And that's how love maps are built, by asking open-ended questions on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And we recommend that people do that you know, daily. Set aside 15, 20 minutes a day just to sit down and be curious about one another's lives. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, one thing I love about Rod before, at the end of every day, how was your day? What happened? You know, what conversations did you have? What's coming up for you tomorrow? Because he wants to be able in the morning when he leaves to say, you know, I know you've got this meeting with your boss. When we know what we think about you, praying for you. So it's like, it's part of just kind of knowing the present, but also kind of anticipation of what's to come and sharing in that um, with that with my partner as well. The second level of the house, which is also part of building friendship and affection, is sharing fondness and admiration. The Gottman research is actually very interesting. They've discovered over the years that there's a consistent ratio between positive interactions to negative interactions, and that ratio is actually five to one. What that means is that happily married couples spend roughly five times the amount of time in positive interactions as they do negative interactions. And that five to one is actually the ratio during a conflict, during an argument. Outside of, yeah, outside (laughs) of a conflict, the ratio is 20 to one. And so sharing fondness and admiration is very important in terms of building a strong and healthy marriage. What we want to do practically for that is we want to look for those qualities that we love, like, admire, appreciate about our partner. And when we see them demonstrating those qualities, we put those into words to them. Even sometimes people talk about love languages and they might say, well, I'm not a real words of affirmation person. Well, the fact is, as human beings, we have evolved where we use language, and language is important to all of us. So it really is important for all of us to know that our partner likes us, admires us, and appreciates us. And this has to be mutual, where we look for those qualities and we put those qualities into words for our partners. It's kind of like making deposits into the emotional bank account. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I say I think that's good because I think it's it's so easy for as we're kind of going through life in any relationship, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's your kids or your roommate, your spouse, your partner, even just friends, right? But if you're saying, okay, we're doing this day to day thing, we're trying to accomplish this set of things, it's easy to say, okay, I only kind of notice things and articulate them when maybe they're not going the way that I want them that's to, right. right? So kind of yeah. often these you know corrections or negative interactions, but you know, kind of intentionally saying, okay, I'm going to pause and point out the things when they're going well or when you've done it the way that I like it to be done or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing is, yeah. is hard. So I think kind of yeah. having that intentionality behind that is, is important. And this is one of those situations where what you pay attention to will determine what you focus on. So if 
what you're looking mm -hmm. for is all of the ways your partner has disappointed you. That's what you're going to find. So if you expand that, though, to include the positive qualities that draw you to one another, you will find those qualities, too. Even in the midst of conflict, if you're looking for those positive qualities, you will find them. And when we express those qualities to one another, that's in part what builds a stronger emotional bond. And we need that stronger emotional bond in order to work through the conflicts. Mm, that's good. That's really good. The, the third layer within the friendship level is something called turning towards instead of away. Think about this in terms of bids for connection is how the goblins talk about it. What do I do and what does my partner do to, in that moment, move us toward each other to share? Share information, share each other, to let them know that in that moment, I want to have some interaction with you. Sometimes it can be just as small as I'm going to send you a link on text. Do you have some time to read that article? Sure. Yeah. That in and of itself is a bid. I've turned towards and my partner's turns towards me by sharing something that they thought was important. And yes, I will take time to read it. Being able to, to, did you watch the news today? Did you hear what you know? blah, blah said? Yes, but also being able to say, you know, I want to, let's have a, let's have a Friday night date. Where would you like to go? Um, I've been thinking about these three things, these three places to go eat. Which ones meet your needs? So making a bid is essentially anything you do or say to try to emotionally connect with your partner. Susie gave some great examples of that. It could also be something like I come home from work and I say to Susie, you're never going to believe who I talked to at lunch today. That's me making a bid to connect. And hopefully she will have a turning toward response, which would simply be who? Mm -hmm. Notice how short mm -hmm. and quick it is. So the yeah. idea is we want to get into the habit of making bids to connect and also listening to bids, uh, listening for bids to connect so that when we hear our partner making a bid, we can do a turning toward response. And this is important. And we know from the research that in happily married couples, whenever one partner makes a bid, the other partner responds with a turning toward response 84% of the time. So you don't have to get it perfect, but you do have to have a turning toward response more often than not. In unhappily married couples or couples that end up getting divorced, they only turn toward a bid 34% of the time. So making bids mm. and turning toward bids when they are made is crucial to building the friendship. Yeah. There was one, one thing that early in our marriage, one thing that was difficult for us is Rod would make a bid. He'd say, you know, have you thought or have you read such and such? And I would pause and think about, hmm, have I heard that? Then he would say, did you hear me? I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I heard you. I was thinking about it. One thing that I had to learn that with my introverted self is that and my extroverted and self, your extroverted self, <laughs> that you know, part of my accepting that also meant I need to acknowledge that, not just go into myself and say, "I wonder." I'm trying to answer his question, but the bid for connection isn't about the answer; it's about the verbal and the attending to from my part and as well as his part. 
And I would say the last part of the, the friendship levels on the house, remember we had building love maps, sharing fondness and admiration and turning toward instead of away. The last level is the fourth level, which is called the positive perspective. Um, and that's contrasted with a negative perspective. One of the ways I like to describe this to couples is um, what are your, what, what is the lens that you look at your marriage through? Do you interpret the things that happen in your relationship through a positive lens or a negative lens? An example might be if I make coffee for Susie in the morning, I go out of my way to, to make coffee. And I'm not a coffee drinker, so I really don't know how to make coffee. But let's say I learn how to make coffee and I prepare <laughs> this special cup of coffee for her. And she comes rushing out of the bedroom, grabs a cup of coffee and goes out of the house and drives off to work without saying anything to me. The question then is, well, how do I interpret what just happened? If I have more of a negative perspective in our marriage, I might say, I can't believe she did that. I made this cup of coffee for her and she didn't even acknowledge me. She never sees the things that I do for her. So there's kind of a negative interpretation, whereas a positive perspective would be that same event happens, but instead I think, oh, that's really unlike her to, to not notice that I made the coffee. I wonder if she slept okay last night. Oh, I bet she's mm. nervous yeah. about what she has to do at work. I need to give her a call later this, this morning and just check in with her and see how she's doing. So when our friendship mm. is strong, we are able to have more, more kind and more generous interpretations of our partner's behaviors and our partner's comments. And the way we build the friendship is by building love maps. It's by sharing fondness. It's by making bids and turning towards. And generally, when couples are able to do those things to build the friendship, they develop a positive perspective over time. When you think yeah. about perspective, perspective is neither right nor wrong, but it's always incomplete. So of other things that I have that's going on in my life and uh, in my relationship, the one thing, you know, most of those things I do not have control over and I do not have any management of, but my perspective is something that I can broaden that I can choose to change that. And if I've been working with the, my partner on knowing him, uh, loving him, and getting getting these patterns of connecting down, then I have an opportunity to say, you know what? He, he loves me. And mm -hmm. did he mean to hurt my feelings? Probably not. But I can also choose to go back in my anger, you know what, here we go again. Uh, I knew this was just going to go back to the way it's always been. That's my perspective. I can choose to change. Mm -hmm. That's not dependent on what yeah. my partner does or does not do. That's still within my control. Yeah, that's good. So those four that y'all just unpacked really are grouped into that sense around maintaining and building friendship, correct? That's correct. So, okay, so we've got three more. Can y'all unpack the the last three? Are they connected yeah. or are they distinct? They're, some, or? they're somewhat connected, but they're okay. also distinct. Um, okay. Level five and six are considered to be the conflict levels of the house. So if building friendship and affection is one of the priorities in a marriage, learning how to manage conflict is another priority. And notice that we're talking about it in terms of managing conflict as opposed to resolving conflict. 
Mm. Um, there are some conflicts that can be resolved. For example, who's going to pick the kids up today after school? That may be an area of conflict that you can resolve and you decide who's going to pick the kids up. But there's a lot of our conflicts are uh, what we call perpetual problems. These are problems that originate from just having different personalities, different upbringings, different values, different lifestyle choices. Some of the Gottman's research suggests that about 69% of our conflicts come from these perpetual problems. Um, oh, wow. It, it's quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and an example of that would be, you know, one of the ones that Susan and I talk about is I'm very much an extrovert and she's very much an introvert. And we've had conflict about this from day one uh, when we first started dating each other. My perfect example of a, of a great Saturday morning is to get up early and to go out, uh, go to farmer's market, maybe mm-hmm. go get some coffee together, maybe pop in and visit a friend. And Susie's idea of a perfect Saturday morning is to move from the bed to the couch and to watch TV um, and really mm-hmm. not to interact. And we have been dealing with that conflict really for 26 years now, 27 years. Um, And we've never really resolved it in the sense that I've never become an introvert and she's never become an extrovert. But we've tried to understand what are the values and the desires that are underneath this conflict for us. And so we learn to have more understanding and appreciation for the differences as opposed to trying to make the other person do things the way we want to do them. Yeah, that's good. We use that to come to a a win-win situation rather than a resolution, but a win-win situation. Yeah, and a win-win situation recognizes that there's not one reality, there's not one truth. There are at least two realities and truths. So instead of trying to get each other to see things um, only from our way, we both try to see the world through the other person's eyes. And so managing conflict and making life dreams come true really is all about how do we not only manage the conflict, but how do we deepen our emotional bond with each other? And there are some um, some pretty straightforward ways of doing this, although in reality it can be a lot more complicated just because we're people and we get our feelings involved and sometimes the relationship feels shaky. So there are some strategies that we can do to help help us manage both the perpetual problems as well as the uh, solvable problems. And one of the key ways to do that is we have to be willing to accept influence from our partner to be open to being influenced. In other words, if Susie says, Rod, I've got a problem with something, my world needs to stop at that moment. And I need to turn to Susie and say, okay, if you've got a problem, I'm here. Let me hear what you're upset about, or let me hear what you're concerned about. In heterosexual couples in the United States, 85% of the time, the problem with accepting influence comes from the husband. And so we have other research showing that husbands that are really proactive in accepting influence tend to report having more uh, satisfactory and happier marriages. Another way that we manage conflict is by being willing to discuss our problems. And one of the easiest ways to do this is to take turns listening to one another about what our conflict is about. 
there's a really simple formula that we can use to do this. Um, the formula goes, Susie, when you do or say blank, I feel really blank. And what I need from you is blank. So for example, Susie, um, when I send you a text message and you don't respond, I feel uh, really unheard. And that makes me feel irritated. And I hate feeling irritated with you because I want to feel close to you. So I really need when I send you a text message for you to be able to respond to that, even if it's just a little quick emoji or something, just so I know that you've heard that you've heard me. Um, and that kind of formula, when you can switch back and forth, really gives couples a structure to be able to talk about and begin to manage some of the conflict. And then I would say the, the last big thing in terms of managing conflict, this is super important, is we have to be able to practice self-soothing. Um, it is so easy for us when we're in the middle of a conflict discussion for us to get flooded. You might have heard like from a psychology class about the fight or flight response. What happens when we get into a conflict and we feel like the emotional connection is being threatened in that moment. Our bodies have this fight or flight response where um, we get an accelerated heart rate or respiration rate increases. We feel just emotionally and physiologically overwhelmed. And when that happens, it's almost as if our frontal lobe shuts down and we're not able to communicate as effectively. And so when we get flooded in the middle of a conflict, it's really important that we practice some self-soothing to help ourselves feel more calm. And the easiest way to do that is just to do some deep breathing, even if you need to take a time out um, to say, you know, 20 minutes away from one another. So you can do something that is self-soothing, like deep breathing or meditation or prayer or petting your dog or your cat or going for a walk around the block, something that helps to de-escalate that fight or flight response. And then you re-engage your partner once you both have um, reduced your flooding. Um, you re-engage your partner to begin talking about the conflict some more. Yeah, that's good. That that's so good. Yeah, I remember some of this stuff. This is some of the stuff that y'all had covered in the retreat that I know Corey and I had attended. And so, it was yeah. so it's so good hearing this again and just hearing you re revisit this and just how important it is. And we can cover the last two levels of the house, uh, I think, fairly quickly. Um, okay. The sixth level of the house is called Making Life Dreams Come True. There are two ways of looking at this. One of the ways to make life dreams come true is, do you know about your partner's bucket list? Do you know the things that your partner dreams about in their life? And are you willing to help make those life dreams come true? For example, one of Susie's life dreams has been to scuba dive. And I have absolutely zero interest in scuba diving. It scares me to think about going to the bottom of the ocean and relying on an oxygen tank to keep me alive. So I have no plans to go scuba diving, but I know this was important to Susie. And so we made some arrangements over the last several years for her to take scuba diving classes. And then we took a few cruises where she would go scuba diving. And I am entirely enthusiastic and supportive of her. I'm interested in her experience. And making life dreams come true is, is, is part of having 
a good, strong, healthy marriage? And so do you know what your partner's life dreams are? And are you actively supporting and helping those dreams to come true? You don't have to take part in the dream, although that could be a plus if you wanted to do that. But just being there to support and encourage those dreams to come true is important. Now, there's another way that making life dreams come true shows up. And a lot of times it shows up in our perpetual conflicts that we have. One of the easiest examples, I think, to for people to understand is the conflict about spending. Very often, someone who is a spender finds themselves married to a saver. And they might have perpetual arguments about how they're spending their money or how they're keeping a budget. And they may find that they have conflict for years on end about this. And one of the reasons we have these perpetual problems is because there are hidden dreams underneath the conflict itself. And one of the common hidden dreams under money issues is money means something to us. Money symbolizes and represents something. And just as one example, oftentimes for a saver, money represents security. And so they save money, not just because they're saving money, because by saving money, they are feeling a sense of security in life. And another common example is for the spender, money might represent freedom or opportunity. And so when the spender spends money, what they're really doing is exercising their freedom or following exciting opportunities. And the reason couples get into fights in this example about money isn't just necessarily just the logistics of how do we create a budget, but it's two underlying dreams that are coming into conflict. And so it's important then for partners to be dream detectives to understand what is the hidden dream under my partner's perspective on the issue. And in the example I've just given you about money, it would be for the saver to think or to know that my partner really values freedom and that's why they spend money. And so what can I do to help make my partner's life dream of freedom come true? And that only works though then if the spender is also willing to say, my partner wants to um, save money because they their underlying dream is one of security. So what can I do as the spender to help my partner's life dreams for security to come true. Mm -hmm. So particularly on these perpetual problems, we have to be dream detectives and go underneath so we can understand those hidden dreams. And so that's the other way that we help to make life dreams come true. If we're open and paying attention, the conflicts that we have most consistently are invitations for us to understand our partner's life dreams. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. No, that makes yeah, perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And in those conversations, it seems like uh, some of the self-soothing and managing conflict comes back into play, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're having this conversation about money and say you say, okay, this really hits at my security, then a threat to that is going to inherently kind of throw me into like this fight or flight type thing, right? Absolutely. And so to be able to set that aside and say, okay, what is what's underneath yours means that I have to be able to kind of keep myself regulated and say, okay, I'm, I'm not, this isn't a direct attack. I don't have to kind of respond to right. defensiveness. You right. got it. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so then the very last part of the house is, is called creating shared meaning. 
And shared meaning basically refers to how do we go through time together? What are the rituals of connection that we have developed together as a way of of marking our relationship? Uh, What are the rituals of connection we have for saying goodbye to each other in the morning and reuniting at the end of the day? What are the rituals of connection we have for eating meals? What are the rituals of connection we have for celebrating successes or or of grieving together? What are the rituals of connection we have for lovemaking? So there are lots of rituals that couples can develop that give meaning um, and significance to their life together. We have a favorite Saturday morning ritual of connection. Susie, do you want to describe yeah. that ritual? Ron put together a list of songs, music, that he wakes me up to every Saturday morning to. And the first one is... Um, Wake Up Little Wake Susie, up little Susie. by the Everly Brothers. <laughs> and there's, there's just a, a sense of... From, again, he said earlier when we uh, approach Saturday mornings very differently, but that is how we begin it, which is him reaching out and knowing uh, with my favorite songs, and then we'll move into some of his favorite songs. And we do, we've done that for years. For years. Um, oh and it's, gosh, been, really, it's been really fun for us when we've been staying at families' mm-hmm. uh, houses um, over the years <laughs> to get them involved with that too. <laughs> We have a wonderful memory of being at our niece and nephew's house, and they're doing this with their three young kids on a Saturday morning. Um, So we get to share that ritual of connection, and that's a great joy for us. Creating a great memory with them. Rituals of connection can also be how are you going to address Christmas? How are you going to address holidays? How are you going to address um, interactions with families? A lot of times when I'm working with a couple with rituals of connection, I just have them talk about how do they do their day because sometimes the pattern that we get into as a couple we establish some connections and we don't recognize that those connections can be intentionalized and become rituals for us it's not just about getting up and you know you take the left side of the sink and I take the right side that kind of thing is you are already establishing patterns as a couple which ones can we build on to help them be something that is a, a point of moving towards each other? There's another thing that Rod and I have. It's a saying that we say to each other when we get into uh, some really stressful situations, even fearful situations for us, one or the other. Um, one of us will turn to the other and say, you know what, we got this. And just those words, we got this, uh, bring us both into connection of I'm not doing this alone. Uh, so those words have become a ritual of connection for us too. And so I guess if you know part of the rituals of connection and creating shared meaning is to recognize that we are meaning making creatures. We need to have meaning in our life and creating rituals of connection is one of the ways that we do that. And so then if we take kind of back up and take the 30,000, Uh, foot view of of a healthy marriage, we're really looking at within this sound relationship house, we're looking at how to help, how to help couples build friendship and affection, how to help couples manage conflict, both the solvable problems as well as the perpetual problems. 
And thirdly, how to help couples create shared meaning together. And when we're working on those three areas, and we're also working on deepening our trust and commitment, that's what the research shows us, um, helps to build a strong marriage that can last a lifetime. Mm, That's so good. Yeah. And I love that right when we started out with this, you talked about these being kind of continual things, right? Because as I'm looking at these seven elements and even obviously the kind of two walls, but these seven elements, you know, even if you at one point talked about life dreams, right, that doesn't mean that, okay, we did that. Now we just don't have to do that at any point because as you talked about, we're all constantly changing, evolving, you know, so all of these things are things not just to address in like once in premarital counseling or whatever, but like, okay, we have to do this continuously throughout relationships. That's right. Especially if there are points of, uh, of a marital life together where things happen and it's an opportunity for those moments to be either bringing us closer to each other or further apart. Um, when children come on the scene, we need to remember, we need to still build this friendship with each other, even though baby has come along. When we have a death of a parent, the, our relationship is going to change as a result of this death. Um, so even surgeries, I had my hip replaced a few number of years ago. Our marriage took a huge leap forward in all those areas because of that event. But it's, so it's an opportunity to either maintain the status quo or to deepen. That's good. Well, one of the things I want to highlight is that we are sensitive to the fact that most couples right now are shifting to being around one another all the time, which up until a couple of weeks ago really wasn't the case, um, or at least at the point of recording this episode. And so now we are juggling working from home or adjusting to not working homeschooling, navigating the stress of the current crisis, and so many other things. So I'm curious if each, if the both of you could name, like, what would be the one most important thing that you would recommend for couples who are now navigating uncertainty and crisis and fear and just everything that's going on right now? Sure. That's a great question, Holly. In our practices, we have noticed that all of our couples that we're working with have had um, increased stress and increased conflict. And we've also noticed in our own marriage, uh, since we've been sheltering in place, that we've had increased stress and conflict with each other. So Susie, why don't you want to say what what one piece of advice you would recommend, and then I'll say what I would recommend? Uh, Radical honesty communicate, communicate, communicate. Rod and I even had this conversation this morning of us sheltering place. We've worked in the same facility before. We are both in the same profession. We go to conferences together. We go to trainings together. But to be in the same household 24-7 is my dream come true. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm in hog heaven, as my mother would say. Uh, not so much with Rod. And so we find ourselves... Just as, you know, when I mentioned earlier, when I had my hip replaced, our relationship took a huge leap forward because we really had to adjust some things of how we uh, interact with each other. This is also an opportunity where we are um, investigating new territory. 
of what, what does this mean for my expectations of living and working at home together? And what are his and how to me and my, we finally get to be, you know, our own little hermit here on Gorman Avenue and Rod's perception of, oh my gosh, I've got to get off of this Gorman Avenue. How do I, how do we, how do we maneuver through that? So communicate, communicate, communicate. Yeah, I think those are, that's a wonderful suggestion. And communicate using some of what we've talked about mm-hmm. earlier in terms of mm-hmm. self-soothing, accepting the other person's influence, mm-hmm. using I statements to talk about your your needs and your feelings, uh, and really try to listen to the other person. Um, I think the one piece of guidance I would give probably would be to lower your expectations mm-hmm. um, during this time of the coronavirus crisis, mm-hmm. coronavirus crisis. Learn to accept that this is the new normal for the time being. It won't be this way forever, but it is that way for now. And I think finding ways to have some structure in your day where you can have together time with your partner, but also time where you can have alone time. I think that's super important. If you're going to be with anybody 24-7, For most people, that's going to be stressful, regardless of who the person is. So it is okay to take some time to be by yourself. And it is also important to take time to be with each other, to turn off the television, to sit down and talk with each other, to be physically close as well as emotionally close with one another. And being able to communicate about all of this is just paramount. My gosh, I love that from the both of you. I think those are such good pieces of advice right now, um, especially in the midst of everything that's going on. And certainly good for even during times when we're not in crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for for each of those pieces, I'm really, really grateful for how y'all have elevated that. Well, if you would like to connect with Dr. Rod Hetzel or Dr. Susie Matlock Hetzel, we will have a link to specifically to Rod's website as well as his Facebook. Um, We will also include a link to their two sweet little doodles, Benedict and Sophia, um, in our show notes as well. So if you are a dog lover, um, as each of us are on this show, um, you will certainly appreciate their photos. Um, You You are welcome. I'm following it right now. This is amazing. (laughs) I just just looked it up. I love it. They're so cute. If you would like to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert-bohr.com or on any social media at Robert Bohr. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter or Instagram at hollyoxhandler. Rod and Susie, thank you both so much for joining us today and for coming on to talk with us about all of these um all of yeah. these bits and pieces around marriage and the complexity and, and the structure and such. And, and I loved the series that y'all unpacked. Do y'all have any closing thoughts for our listeners? It's just been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And um, every day's a new day. Every day's a new opportunity to get closer. And remember that relationships are built by doing small things often. We really appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk with you, Holly and Robert, um, and to all of your listeners. So thank you.
Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com.